Data Stories is supported by Tableau Software, helping people see and understand their data. Get answers from interactive dashboards wherever you go. For your free trial, visit Tableau Software at tableausoftware.com slash datastories. Hi everyone, Data Stories number 46. Happy New Year! Yay! Hi Moritz, how are you? Good! Yeah. Refreshed, yeah. I, I did nothing for two whole weeks. Same here, nothing, yeah, absolutely nothing. It was exactly what I was after. Perfect, And now Just I'm perfect. so bored, I, I'm even happy working. <laughs> <laughs> really? Come on. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I had to do something again, so I'm, I'm doing, doing well. Yeah. How are you? Great. Well, lots of work Excellent. to do. Mm -hmm. Just after the holidays, but great. I, I feel well rested. Cool. Lots of food, lots of, not lots, a little bit of sleep <laughs> and <laughs> as much as I could. And uh, yeah, great. Cool. So the perfect episode for the new year is the year in review. And we have Andy Kirk, a classic, and Robert Cosara, another classic. Hi, guys. How are you? <laughs> Hello. Good evening. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We couldn't resist inviting you again. <laughs> we had to invite both of you, otherwise and the fight would start again. Like, I well, won the head, you know, go. look at who's yeah. winning. And so <laughs> so maybe we can have a little bit of a, of a virtual fight online. <laughs> well, just to point out that Robert only appeared in one third of the Viz <laughs> review episode. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that's true. Does that not really count? count? Yeah. We're not counting. We're not counting. No, no, I think that's, but, but, but I was there for the meetup at Viz. So I think that, that counts for like three or four. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was actually physically present. Oh, that's true. Andy, you've never been physically present. Sure. Yeah, he wins. <laughs> <laughs> again, again. <laughs> again, again. So um, I don't even know if we need to introduce these two guys. You guys have been here so many times. More often than us, almost. Huh? Yeah, almost. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't do that. Um, so we have a, um, a long list of things we want to talk about. And uh, I think we want to start from big trends and themes for the past year. So what happened? What are the big things happened? Who wants to start? Andy? Allow me to, yeah. to start, yeah. Uh, well, I think in the, the, general, the first general point would be that 2014 was kind of a hard year to, to get hold of, to get a, a real sense of what was the big changes, the big improvements, maybe some of the, some of the negative things. But in a sense, I think that reflects a field that is stabilising, that is continuing to build on the progress of previous years. So I think it's it is quite a challenge to pull out highlights and headlines, but I think in a sense that's a that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's been a, a year where we've just seen the great people doing more great stuff, new people coming along uh, in you know in, in the in the slipstream of the great designers from years gone by. So I think it's been a it's been a good year. I don't think it's been a a, a revolutionary year, but I think that we probably needed evolution more so than uh, revolution so i think yeah. it's been a good year um a lot of good work um and i mean you know as as you know i do the kind of monthly collection of some of the best work that's taken place in the previous month and that's a continually growing list and a continually growing challenge to edit 
it down to something reasonably sized. So that is a little single indicator suggests to me that we're still progressing, more people are participating. Yeah, Robert. I mean the party is becoming bigger and bigger. I feel the same way, <laughs> and and I think that's that hits the nail uh, on the head in in a sense that it's not so easy to talk about the five big things anymore, you know, because everybody's doing visualization. Mm -hmm. There's so everybody's much stuff going on. Everybody's really, making um, progress. Um, some of the very best works that you will have seen four or five years ago would have probably, in a sense, stood alone or stood stood alongside two or three others. But now you're talking about. 20, 30, 40 real kind of marquee projects per year, which I think is a is a reflection of a healthy field, really. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's. So I'm 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 actually much more positive than you guys are. <laughs> uh, the, I think it's it was it maybe it wasn't a, a revolutionary year, perhaps, but not every year can be. I think that there are, there are a lot of things that are really interesting that happened this last year, and we are looking at a long list here of of, of things we wrote up and that mostly Andy actually wrote up. And Andy has these these summaries of the months and and like every six months that have long lists of interesting projects there. So I think that a lot of things happened that were quite interesting this last year. And there was uh, there's a lot of, of stuff to talk about. Maybe nothing that was a big standout, but but lots of of good developments. And in particular, I think the the academic side actually did really well this last year. Uh, we had a really good news conference that had a lot of new, new interesting work, uh, and and felt like like a lot of of new things were happening and and really good work being done. So, um, yeah, academia is rocking the show. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Robert, you are on the wrong side now. No, <laughs> On the obviously losing uh, enterprise side. I mean, what's going yeah. on? I mean, right? that's not I mean, true because Robert is doing research. So. Right, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm doing the best research. of both worlds. <laughs> I mean, One I thing that the other side about this is, is uh, so to, I think it was today, but um, uh, Stephen Few published a, a short post on his site saying that <laughs> essentially 2014 was a bit of a, a nothing year from his perspective, lack of growth, development, and improvement in practices. But the difficulty is, and it's something that we've always faced, we're not present um, in, in front of all the people out there doing visualization work. So in a, in a sense, I guess the analogy would be we're almost TV chefs um, sharing good practice with others uh, who are blogging and writing about the field, sharing the work that we're doing. In a sense, we're trying to evangelize good practice. But the people who are hopefully consuming and following and taking on board this uh, this kind of advice uh, are distant and detached from us. We can't see, we're not physically there to sit, kind of witness the, the improvement people, especially those people who are doing this work within the corporate walls and the work that is purely internal focused and, you know, we never get to see it. So it, it's very difficult to, to say that things haven't grown when we're so far away from the people where growth would actually exist. But from a personal point of view, certainly the the kind of client list I've had in the last 12 months reflects to me at least uh, a growing awareness, a continued growing awareness of visualisation as a thing and why yeah. visualisation is important to them. So yeah. I think that bottom layer of the pyramid 
in terms of a healthy kind of ecosystem, just the simple awareness level is continuing to grow. The top parts of that pyramid, well, we're a little bit hidden from it, really. So we have to take that bottom layer as a single proxy of, of, of growth. No, but I agree that there's nothing really, really big that happen, has happened last year. But at the same time, I don't have this negative stance that you can find if you read uh, this piece from Stephen Few. And um, I think it's actually, I, I personally believe that it's actually good there's, there's, that we are, I believe that we are probably in a new stage of visualization. And then if uh, nothing really, really new or special is happening, it's not necessarily bad. It might actually mean that the, the old community and practice is growing. Mm. And actually, I, I wanted to mention that I think I, I might be wrong, but I haven't seen as much as in the past a lot of criticism of bad visualizations mm. out there. Yeah, and this might actually okay. be a sign of the fact that things are going well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's my wrong impression. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the WTF is uh, <laughs> Tumblr only started this last year, isn't that? Or is it already yeah. has been around for more than that? No. So yeah. uh, I think there there's certainly still a lot of work that 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 needs yeah, to be criticized. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe we're be, also right? a bit... I mean, but but I, the I, average, I, I think the average graphic has much improved, right? Oh, yeah, I no, mean, I, I agree with that, yeah. 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 I, mean, yeah. I mean, another trend that has been continued, I think, is this whole, uh, like, the data journalism and talking to journalists and journalists learning more about data and this whole dialogue with the journalistic scene. I think that's... That's big. Yeah, that's yeah. that has become even bigger, I think, this year, and uh, I'm really super happy that it's happening. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've seen the emergence of the new uh, data journalism sites, such as Vox, 538, right. Upshot, oh, yeah. Marshall Project, I'm sure there's many more as well. I mean, these are, you know, this, this is all just pretty much blown up in the last 12 months. Um, yeah. I guess in many respects, most things in that sense would lead back to the influence of people like Nate Silver, but um, I think what you could question across some of those sites is the quality of the visualization work being undertaken. But I think it's very perhaps unfair to judge them on that level yet because it takes a long time, I guess, for any organisation to establish its um, you know its 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 palettes, its templates, its approaches to different stories. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, if we focus on the um, the work being done by uh, the Upshot, I think they've done some extraordinary work this year. Um, with you know Amanda in 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 very much involved in that, and people like Gregor and Devin Quill, there's been some amazing stuff there. So they've continued, uh, you know, in in a different capacity. The, the the great work of the New York Times. I think for the others, the, the likes of Vox and Five Thirty Eight, there's there's a little bit of a way to go, but. Just the, the presence of those sites is, is only a good thing. Um, and, and as we've seen elsewhere, the likes of the Washington Post have, have yeah. gone from strength to strength. They've got an amazing crew um, under the leadership of Cat uh, Downs Mulder there. And, you know, I think they have to be spoken in exactly the same terms as the New York Times these days. Um, and, and beyond the, the classic two, I think we've seen um, the emergence of did site in Germany and certainly some increasing visibility of work from um, the LA Times in the UK, the Financial Times with John Burns Murdoch have, have certainly 
increase their visible output. Uh, and also writers uh, under the kind of stewardship of um, Sam and Scar, formerly of the South Channel Morning Post. They've certainly, we've started to see his influence on their work there. So I think the data journalism world is very much still the leading um, front of data of really. Well, absolutely, yeah, I agree. And also, um, so th there are a number of things here that, that that are interesting. First of all, is of course that the upshot being part of the New York Times, they're able to do a lot more work and and have a lot more people to work on things than some of the others mm -hmm. that are much smaller and also have to produce probably have to produce much more output. And so they just don't have as much time to build very intricate, very interactive pieces. But also, I think there's a lot of a lot more focus now on the graphical side and on the data side. So I've, I've been collecting these links to um, these year-end roundups of what each of the graphics departments have done, mm -hmm. and they've really started doing that now and to show off what what they were doing, right. and also to give you a way to kind of browse through and see all the things that are out there. So. It's really interesting that when you look at those, that there's just a huge amount of stuff that that Bloomberg is doing, that um, the Washington Post certainly is doing, the New York Times and others, and that that are really really interesting, really well thought out, very elaborate, interactive pieces, not just you know a few charts here and there. And they also come up with new ideas and and try out new things that that are really interesting to watch. So. I totally agree that there's a lot of the cutting edge really is is happening in 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 data journalism still. Yeah, and it's really it's also it's proving its worth because if you look at the list of the top ten most visited pages or features uh, at these big media uh, media houses, it's on the top places often interactive apps or interactive visualizations. Right. So these actually drive the traffic. So I remember last year. There was this map of um, from the New York Times, actually done by an intern, you know, about um, these local like dialects uh, across the U.S. How would you say, you know, um, right? Diff different ter terms that are being used. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a very playful app. Everybody could relate to, and it actually generated the most traffic over the whole year. And I think this year it has been for the big houses very similar. So these pieces actually, you know, it's it's not just a gimmick or or additional luxury. It's actually what <laughs> what drives traffic to these sites these days, which I find really interesting. Absolutely, and I mean, just two of the kind of favorite designs from the last year, uh, from my perspective, came from uh, the upshot. One of them was the. Um, the economy in 255 charts, yeah. which was just this, the, the, kind of the audacity thing. of <laughs> yeah. 255 line charts on a scatter plot was just outstanding. Uh, so much depth to it. But also, I think what you see across a lot of these works now is this pure integration between interactivity, but also this kind of managed tabular reveal of a editorial perspective. You know, five different views of this multitudinous charts that we think are interesting. So they are creating the interactive depth, but they're also managing the, the message about the things that they think are of uh, of most interest. Um, and then the, the the second one that came from that organisation was the the most detailed maps you've ever seen from the midterm elections, which was just really beautiful, oh, elegant, yeah. detailed maps um, produced, published on the night of the election, so obviously there would have been pl plenty of work in advance, but just the the quality and the elegance of this um, this kind of output is it, it's it's the real high mark of of this field, really. 
Yeah, that's been two really, really great pieces. And I specific, specifically remember the reshaped economy in 255 charts. This was one of the visualizations where I was just like, what? <laughs> What's going on? This is crazy. Can you guys describe what it is just in case somebody listening doesn't haven't seen it? Yeah. It's a, I know it's hard to describe, but yeah. If you can imagine yeah. launching 255 worms from zero <laughs> to zero... Of varying and, color. Yeah, of varying color. <laughs> and then just watching out as they kind of scatter across this landscape. Um, it, it, it simply was. It's like explosion in the noodle factory. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was literally 255 line, line charts with the 0,0 point mapping onto a scatter plot position. So, and then you could hover over the lines and you could see a, a pop up um, kind of airy chart with further details. So, it was just a you know a really amazing concept and, and pulled off very effectively. Yeah, and it used scrolly telling. Scrolly telling. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was a new yeah, so as you, uh, as you scroll down, year, wasn't it? Yeah. Is that a new thing? Yeah, I guess it's new. Yeah, there was like I mean. Snowfall, is it one year ago or two years? But it's, you know, it's, it's, we are still in the middle of the scrolling thing. <laughs> I think it's, I think it was two years. I think it might be two years, yeah. I think yeah, it should be two well. years now, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, there has been some backlash the, the, over the last months towards those long form journalism pieces. But um, I still think the, the majority are of good quality and do warrant that kind of format. And I think it's up to the reader whether they've got the commitment or the interest in the subject matter to, to engage with it. But yeah, there's been some splendid work. I mean, the, one of the other projects that I really enjoyed this year, which was, it was perhaps a slightly different long form structure, which was losing ground mm -hmm. by ProPublica, which was a, what's the criticism? Like when these long form pieces are criticized, is it just like they're blowing something small up to be very long? Or? I think that's one part of it. Yeah, but also the fact that yeah. in a sense, I guess the, the lazy accusation is that people are just copying um, the New York Times off from, from Snowfall right, and trying right. to kind of emulate the success just by copying the format. But I, I don't think mm. that's necessarily I fair. Think that, that, that never works. You know, whatever you do, it's like if you just copy the, the surface but have no substance, I mean, you know. But there were some examples very early on, right, right after Snowfall, within like maybe a few months, that were really not very well done, that had a lot of moving things and a lot of, of kind of different elements but the actual content didn't really it wasn't really the right fit for that kind of work so you mm. need something you need a big story a complex story for this kind of thing especially when it's such a big production uh, when you mix video and images and animations and stuff like that yeah. But I think the the format of of scrolling and and things happening and kind of falling into place that can also of course be very distracting and annoying. Mm. When like I, I remember seeing one where all the images would just kind of pop up, so you would scroll and there was that would be an empty space and the images would kind of pop into existence, and so it was really distracting mm. as you were reading. Things were popping and moving, and yeah, you so have you, to do it really just, well from the usability point. Right, of view. exactly. That's, so that's you, you, because it's so easy to overdo all these effects, yeah. so that. that I think that that's a lot of the the criticism is that it's just too heavy-handed and too much flashiness and and not enough substance necessarily. But I think that some of the good ones that have been done recently have kind of figured out the people people who were doing them have figured out where to kind of find the balance between making something that's that's attractive but not so over the top. 
Wait, can I... Yeah, and I mean, and yeah. for me, anything that sort of gives journalism a chance online, you know, for mm -hmm. me is great because, you know, we need it. And, and I think that the fact alone that long form has a future, you know, has been a big, um, a, a big insight and also a big relief that, you know, we're not, you know, we don't have to do only like three point yeah. lists to survive, but you can actually write like something that takes 10 minutes to consume. I, I think the other point about this is, um, so I was chatting to Paul Blickley at site um, about a month before the anniversary of the, the 25th anniversary of the German reunification. And he was kind of expressing this idea that there is pressure when there is a potentially popular story that a number of organisations will cover. There is a pressure to be, to be different and to do something that will stand out from the crowd. And so, in a sense, it, it is a risk for, for an organisation to, to commit to a big, long-form project. So those that do see that through, I think, right. should be commended for having that vision to, to kind of go ahead and do that thing, rather than a very quick novelty thing that might be consumed in, you know, in, a, in a minute and people move on. So there, there is a certain courage, I think, behind this. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not for everybody, you know. So I can maybe in the future see also, yeah, sure, the Tide and New York Times and so on, that they have this time and the manpower to to embark on these. A, you need an original investigation, like you know, really investigative journalism and the story mm -hmm. behind it, and B, then also back that up with the fitting multimedia. You know, that's obviously not something right. for every every newsroom, right? So, and all these things will, of course be much more clearly yeah, separated, yeah. I guess, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and at the same time, I think this is a good sign because it means that people are ready to consume this kind of information. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I but think this that, mixture of text and commentary and sort of trying to build a longer argument that you illustrate with a couple of facts and charts, this is something where I'm now much looking forward that it trickles through maybe also to the mm. business side or, you know, or yeah. like the organizations, for instance, I work with, you know, that because it's a really nice format to get complex information across, but in a nicely structured and guided way. And I mean, yeah. in the end, this is what we're all after, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. And I, th so, I think yeah. yeah, along the same sort of theme, and not to embarrass you on it, but I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of merit in I okay, doubt well, let's that. I it. doubt let's, that. Let's try. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> City by Moritz and others. Um, I won't list all the people involved, but what I really loved about this project, Moritz, was the this same kind of intersection between something that you're equipping people with the means to, to interrogate and to explore themselves, but you're also managing the things that you want to, to show people and to present people. So whilst, in a sense, that was a, it's a different type of long-form um, results page, what I love was it wasn't just, here's an interface, over to you folks to find something interesting. It was, this is mm. what we found, also explore yourself. But these are the things that we thought were most salient. Yeah. So that kind of trend, I think, can only be positive. Where we're not just saying that there's this pure separation between we either just explain or we just explore, that we can find a way to incorporate both, which really suits, in theory, all audience types. So can we say then that a big trend this year is going in depth in I think general? It could be. I think things are much more curated than in the past. Maybe, but also if remember Vox in five thirty eight, they were criticized a lot for being a bit too much on the on the on the quick side, <laughs> you know, and I don't know. So 
but it, there, there's at least a big, yeah, a big chunk of works in this area that go much deeper and and go the extra mile in producing another graphic and you know here a summary and there an, an exploratory part. Yeah, probably. I would agree. So what else happened? Other big trends, ideas? I think Robert at the beginning mentioned the uh, academic side of things. Yes, yeah. Which of course I like. Maybe you want <laughs> you want to elaborate on that, Robert? Sure. Yeah. Well, so the the this conference this this last year in in Paris. Well, first of all, it was in Paris, which was a new thing. This is the first time uh, they, they did it in Europe, and that that really worked out really well. They had a very successful, very um, well run very well attended conference so that was really good um, and I, th I felt that the quality of the talks was really good the and I'm talking mostly here about the infoviz part of it so the the viz conference consists of infoviz information visualization which is infoviz the vast conference and sciviz scientific visualization and I mostly went to the infoviz sessions but those were overall really really good there were some really excellent papers I felt that the presentation quality was was much better than than in the years past. People have in many cases had a a, a a URL at the end of their presentation that had is essentially a landing page where they had materials from their paper and maybe the PDF and other things like that. And then also I think that that Moritz and uh, uh, and Dominicus they did this uh, uh, tutorial on uh, the uh, uh, Everything but the charts. Okay. Hello. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so you can go. <laughs> okay. So Moritz and, and Dominicus they had this this tutorial on everything but the charts that is uh, in the in in uh, basically talking about something that's very unusual at, at this, which is talk about all the stuff around it. How do you make your your visualization shareable? How do you make it work on the web and so on? And it's it was really interesting that that a lot of or some of the things that they talked about people are already starting to do so this was very timely so people did not really have necessarily a press kit but they did have their landing pages they did have images on there they did have materials for people to use maybe a link to their github repository with the code and so on so it was really good to have all of that available and just feel that there's more stuff going on and people are more are more interested and, and careful about making making the stuff they do available and usable to people. So I think that was a really good thing to see. Yeah, and there were lots and, of and, GitHub links, like here's our yeah. code. There, there was a paper even with a Twitter account where you could tweet at the paper. And Jeff Hare, he embedded the data of his paper into the PDF. So whenever you would download the PDF, you could also download. The data would come bundled with it. So lots of smart thoughts around how to make research more accessible and and more actually get it out there. So I think that that was a really good thing to see. And, and also just, just generally, it, it felt like there was a lot of stuff happening this last year in, in the academic world. And this is going to take a bit longer, of course, to actually make its way into into tools and into people's actual practical work but i think it's it, it it's important that it happens <laughs> and if this trend continues i think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of quality of work which is which is good to see so i'm i'm, I'm very happy about that and very uh positive about what what was going on there yeah i had the same impression so i was the first time as you know at this but i also felt very as you said the 
presentations were great and um, a lot of like inspiration taken also from external fields. Everybody uses D3 and, you know, the people are really interested in putting things on the web. And so, yeah, so maybe that's a uh, another big positive trend that's finally academia and the rest of the world <laughs> to get closer to each other. Yeah, and I think from my side, I think that's another interesting trend that I see happening. Maybe probably thanks to organizing this in Paris, I've seen a lot of people who are more on the practitioner side of things chatting and doing things together with academics. And, and this is great. And, and one thing that you might actually have noticed is that academics people love what you guys do in, in practice in the real world. <laughs> so that's, that's amazing. I, I love it. And at the same time, I think it's very important for practitioners to be aware of the fact that there are some works out there that can be really, really, really useful in practice. So I think that's that's great. Yeah, yeah, it was fun because I, I was actually kind of surprised and shocked that there were so many people at that at that tutorial that that uh, Moritz was doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think people were like, "What? What are you talking about? What is this?" But <laughs> they're very very curious about this. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I had a few people coming to me and say, "Oh, can, can you introduce <laughs> me to Moritz?" <laughs> right. <laughs> so that that that's fun. yeah. I mean, it's great. Seriously. Yeah. And uh, and it's happening. I think it's happening. So that's great. So we well, have Tamara Munsoner here on the show. Yeah, and uh, people love the show. Again. Everybody was and like now she's on away. Twitter and she wants to tweet exactly. and, and be part of, yeah. the, of the community. <laughs> and I've seen her tweeting with, with, with a lot of people who normally don't come to academic conferences. Her book so is that, really good, great. by the way. I, by now yeah. I read it. It's really good and super helpful for me from the user task side, like to think in a structured way about what people might want to draw out mm -hmm. of a visualization. Yeah, my copy arrived yeah. just this very morning, so looking forward to read that. No. no, it's really good. And the figures are, you can use the figures in your presentations. And uh, that's cool. really good. So that's another really nice thing. Yeah, like visual variables and chart types and things like that. It's all there. Yeah. So should we talk about books in general? What happened last year? Well, I think Tamara's stands out, really, in terms of the... Um, the, the gaps that I feel exist in the book space about, you know, about process, about kind of critical thinking. Um, aside from that book, though, the, the other one that I really enjoyed reading was um, Raw Data, Infographic Design and Sketchbook. I'm not sure if it's got the same name in the States, but um, it's a really beautiful kind of book of different case studies, but the, the, the production quality is is absolutely outstanding, um, and there's some really really good insights in there, different tips from people in all sorts of different projects and data sets, and that's something that I've really spent a lot of time looking through this last uh, last few weeks. So that's one of my favourites this year. Yeah, understanding the world is really nice. It's from Sandra Rentgen again, who, who did this first really big infographic. How was it called? Oh, Do you yes. remember? This huge book with the subway map. I have a separate shelf for that book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Understanding the World right. is the same format. And again, like lots of really well-selected, nice, nice graphics. So that was a highlight for me too. And it's all about like world statistics or, yeah, something about the world. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so you need to make a big book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any any yeah. other great, great books? Was the the Book of Trees published last yeah, year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah we had Manuel here on the show, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was a great one, too. The, um, the, uh, there was a book um, that I think some of us contributed in terms of being a brand trust, which was the um, the best American infographics of 2000 and... Now, was it 14 or 13? I can't remember which year the time frame it actually relates to, but uh, that's a, a really nice collection of, of work. Um, and I think what's what comes across in that book is how well they've reproduced the the sense of interactive work as well, which I think is increasingly important, obviously, in a, in a print media. Mm-hmm. But anyway, t- 2016 is the year for the books. So people are still reading when, books uh, Myself and Alberto <laughs> publishing, so... <laughs> Ooh. Wow. Alberto is yeah. publishing a new book, right? Yeah, but I think his is more headed towards 2016, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> He's too much on so Twitter. So it's going to take a while before, before we can comment on, on that. Yeah. Yeah. What are you writing well, on, Andy? Kind of, I guess in a similar vein to, to Tamara, which is trying to break this down into kind of critical thinking, into process. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I did the book two or three years ago, which was largely unsatisfactory in terms of output. Yeah. Um, More really? You know, I've got a lot of unfinished business, unfinished content, but also a desire to publish in colour, which would be nice. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working, I'm actually about three months behind, but I reckon that'll be towards the end of this this year. But hopefully that'll be something that um, will be useful for, for beginners, really, just to kind of see this as a, as a workflow process rather than just as, as a glossy uh, example of all sorts of nice projects. So, um, yeah, looking forward to doing that. Actually, I'm quite enjoying the the process. Cool. Yeah, and if you have something really on on critique and critical thinking around database, I think that's yeah that hasn't happened that much. The, the biggest <laughs> challenge so that, is that will definitely fill it. Um, being able to use bad examples in a book to, to pick up. Yeah, no, it's yeah, sure. be good ones, um, right? So, but just to develop a position towards graphics and like absolutely discuss yeah. Them in detail. yeah i think that's, that's but nice. um yeah. yeah i think it's um it's it's something that i still feel is it, that there is room for publishing why so looking forward to get that out mm-hmm. i think it's nice can we Actually, talk about blogging i just realized now we talked about books we talked about newspapers but we haven't talked about blogging and my feeling mm-hmm. is it's been a bit slow last year mm. like Either people sort of kept up the pace <laughs> halfway or like didn't post at all anymore. No more discussions on blogs. Everybody's just like yelling at each other on Twitter. <laughs> it's like, is it, am, am I wrong podcasts. here or is, is that a generally right. perceived trend? I think there's, um, I mean, if you, if you just take, well, let's, let's pick on Enrico. He's, he's sat right here now. Enrico, how many, how many posts do you publish last year? <laughs> No, that's uh, twelve that's posts in one year. I know Gregor that's posted um, one this morning, and he said it's the first one for a year. <laughs> yeah, now everybody's trying to catch up quickly because they realize they they haven't been blogging. Yeah. But I think I think you're right. I think there's there's been a, a little bit of a drying up of, of 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 blog posts and and possibly also new blog sites. Um, I mean, certainly around the the tableau ecosystem, there's been a lot of new bloggers, which I think is great to see the energy around that space but you know i think this is played my third annual review on the, on on this podcast and i think the first one we did i think we had a, an appeal for saying to people that there's more space 
there, there's there's more room for people to to be blogging, to be doing critical analysis in particular. You know, the work that Robert does on his site and Kaiser and people like Brian uh, on uh, the the Y axis. Mm. There's still a r- lot of room for that kind of uh, kind of critical deconstruction, really. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I think it's. Maybe people are just all busy writing books now, but it's it's just that there there it really feels like that has slowed down. I mean, Kaiser is is really active. He's been doing a lot. Uh, Nathan Yao, of course, from Flowing Data, he posts a lot of stuff. But I'm not seeing a lot of others. And actually, I just redid my my mm-hmm. theme for my for my website, and the I had this I used to have this blog role, and and I just took it out because I I clicked through the links, and 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 all the postings were like months mm-hmm. and months old, if if not mm-hmm. over a year old. So I was like, wow. well, why bother? Nobody's going to look at that, and and if they are, they're not going to get enough out. So it feels like there is there's a lot of people have started things. But then, kind of let them slowly kind of die or kind of you know fall into 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 disuse or whatever and and um and it's too bad because there there should be a lot more good stuff like the other day I was talking to somebody about glyphs in visualization. <laughs> I mean, look at the at the Wikipedia page for glyphs. It's 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 really infuriating mm. because it's just really bad, mm. and there's nothing else out there that's really good about it. So, um, that's one of the next things <laughs> I'm going to be writing on my blog is to write a posting about glyphs so that there is one out there. Because a lot of, of <laughs> right, I mean, there's just there, there's so much stuff that's that's really missing. When you when you Google things, you find especially Wikipedia is really bad with visualization so, stuff, so, visualization topics. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot of people writing there have absolutely no clue, and which of course would mean I should go in and actually. Do something about that. That's a really nice idea, times, by the way. We should much. all like get together one evening, like 10, 20 people, yeah, and just and do a little hackathon. The, yeah, a few of the Wikipedia pages. Yeah, that's a really good idea, yeah. actually. Yeah. But but also just have stuff out there so when somebody Google's for something, they find good information and current information, yeah. not stuff that's that's you know years and years old. So that that's my concern. We we're really not visualization still isn't present enough on the web. And there is there's some stuff that's happening, like like Andy just mentioned these tableau blogs, which are really good actually. There's some very good stuff if you're looking for all kinds of trips, of trips, <laughs> of tips and tricks <laughs> that <laughs> they can help you show you things that you wouldn't think would be possible. But um, uh, but yeah, but but the kind of the broader field still needs a lot more of that. I'm I'm, I'm still so I'm actually hoping to actually do a bit more this year and and do a bit more linking to other things and and stuff like that. But but really kind of push harder and hopefully other people will feel that they also uh, now should be doing something about that. I even needed to write out a rant about how bad the <laughs> the visualization blog space is, but it's kind of getting old because it's always the same. It doesn't really change much. Yeah. One but outlier. One, what do you think? I, oh, I want to mention one outlier has been Visual Loop, and their output has been amazing. Mm. They always make relentless huge posts of like the the best photographics <laughs> from last week. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> <laughs> and really nice interviews and yeah, lots of good stuff. So the, the, mm-hmm. a lot of lot of yeah, he's, he's a great guy, Siaka. And now they've yeah. been acquired by 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 Infogram, Infogram. or who, who acquired them? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's also like something to achieve, like to be acquired as a blog. So, congrats to Vision. I think the the high point in terms of blogging. Sorry, Enrico, yeah. just, just very quickly. Same. I think the high point of the year, blogging wise, was the was the kind of sequence of posts that people put forward around April May time around storytelling. And I think Moritz, you triggered it with your trolling of uh, Tapestry Conference, and then I think you put forward your. <laughs> um, 
uh, World's Not Stories post, and then there was a, a sequence of responses. Yeah, then they had great. to do something, right? Because yeah. it, it, it yeah, is it too big a thing to talk nice. about on Twitter, and it needs that kind of discourse on a, on a blog post. So I think that's, you know, for me, when the, the, the best example of blogging takes place when people just take on this this theme and, and you know and, and riff on it and 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 put forward different perspectives and then the collective is a is a sense of the spectrum of views about one single important subject yeah but that also sort of proves the point because that was in january or maybe end of february, february yeah but it's basically you know a year ago <laughs> so, yeah yeah and uh yeah i i was sort of missing that maybe in summer or in, in fall this year to have more mm. of these in-depth debates really that go back and forth and where people actually think about the answers <laughs> sort of write a coherent statement well that's it i mean i mean the other thing that i was kind of reminded of this year was um the the kind of famous visualization manifesto from manuel uh, and and what was yeah, that was good so strike about that post was just the the, the amount of commenting that took place on the blog And the people who were doing the commenting, it was the yeah. who's who's list. Um, that would never happen now because commenting is done on Twitter. You want more people to see your views and people perhaps take less time and attend, uh, care to, to offer a kind of, you know, very constructive post in terms of a comment. So, you know, I don't know if we'll ever recreate mm -hmm. those glory days of 2000s. <laughs> But I think there's generally a big, like a big frustration with internet comments, and you know mm. everybody knows why because they're horrible, and you <laughs> just need to go to Reddit for five minutes and and you're done for the day. But and and so for instance, Medium, like the blogging platform, they don't even allow comments. And maybe this, yeah, at the moment there's no mm. big interest in these sort of. You know, getting caught up in these somebody's wrong on the internet debate, and, <laughs> and maybe well, that's because a lot better. of that is also happening on Twitter now, and and has kind of moved to the social media platforms. Yeah. But but Medium has comments, but they're just in line. Like when you when you mouse over, there's a little bubble on the side of the of each paragraph. Yeah, sort of, yeah. I think you have to log, be logged in perhaps to, yeah. to see that. Yeah. But and sometimes there's a little number there, and then you can click on that and see what the, what the comments are. So there isn't that much kind of commenting back and forth at the bottom, but it's, it can be in line where people can say, but yeah, but what about this? Or yeah, good point. So I, I'm not sure if that's really working all that well, but but I know in general it's it's an issue. And I also know on, on my side, I actually am I'm still debating whether to keep comments or just turn them off. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't get a whole lot. And so it's it's, it's kind of... Uh, you know, a lot of it is spam. <laughs> so why yeah. even keep keep them around if if they're mostly a problem? But um, I don't know. But but I think that what you were just talking about earlier that that kind of back and forth between the different blogs that I think is is a really good one. And and also Kaiser does this a few sometimes that he picks up something from some somewhere else and says, well, here's mm -hmm. my view. Here's yeah. how I'm going to redo that's this. Nice. And yeah. I think that's a really good way of doing things because that 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 kind of. Uh, It's it's kind of it's not a very sexy thing, I guess, in Web 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever terms, but it's just responding to something on your blog and having more space to then just just a quick thing on Twitter is certainly a good thing, and so that that that's a a, a thing to to do. Oh, and I forgot, of course, um, uh, Alberto Cairo's uh, blog is is also a very really good one to follow. Yeah, uh, the uh, functional, functional art yeah. website. 
And also, that's something I wanted to say earlier, but then forgot, is that uh, Alberta has also been more present, I think, and there has been more more connections between mm-hmm. academia and, and journalism because of him, because he gave the keynote at the VIS conference this year. And, uh, well, I, I happen to have just have seen him speak, I think, four or five times last year. He's been everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting sick of him. But uh, he's just, uh, he's, I think he's, he, people are paying attention to him. They're using his book in their teaching. And I think he that they're, they're getting a lot of the ideas about presentation and, and the importance of, of using visualization to tell people something about the world. That's yeah. really now happening a lot more because of, of his influence and presence there as well. Well, including his blog, certainly, but but his book and, and everything. So 2014 was the year where, when he had a lot of influence, you mean? It's the, the year of Alberto Cairo. The year of Alberto <laughs> Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what else? I suppose tools would be... Oh, I just briefly, before we move on to tools, I was just wondering if there are any other podcasts out there. What do you mean other podcasts? I've heard of, <laughs> so there is a, I recently discovered um, Orale podcast. That okay. is more on data or something, okay. not necessarily on data visualization, but they might actually have something on visualization there as well. I enjoyed and listening to development drums. They have all kinds of issues around like yeah improving the world and that has been quite nice and they've been talking about data occasionally as well so th- that was interesting but i think we need we do need more podcast <laughs> <laughs> no seriously i mean we've been talking about blogs and podcast is another reality but I, we haven't seen yeah. anything special out That's there true. and i mean there, so, there could be much coming let's say from o'reilly or like also big big media houses you know they they could have yeah. really nice podcasts on data but there's a lot around internet culture and t- tech culture. Like, you know, these dominate basically the top lists, like talking about Macs or talking about web development or so, but very little mm-hmm. on, yeah, on actually on data, on, on society, on really interesting things. There's a big recommendation for me is Reply All. It's about like internet themes and internet topics. It's really good. Nicely produced and really nice, nice little, um, Stories around 15 minutes or so, so it's easy to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, John Shrubbish has um, started one with Stephanie Evergreen on, it's more to be presentation methods and techniques in general, but obviously... Yeah, that's yeah I was right. just thinking yeah. of the Red Presenters one. Yeah, yeah. Very much based and rooted in, in database. Um, and another, Matt Francis and Emily Kund have started one over the last few months, specifically mm-hmm. to Tableau. Um, and I've completely forgotten the title. What wannabe something? Yeah, that's right. Tableau I think it's wannabe. called yeah. Tableau Wannabe, right? So they've got a, I think they've got a SoundCloud yeah. and a iTunes uh, podcast on that. So yeah, so there are people perhaps on a on a kind of smaller basis on a very kind of perhaps a niche basis doing doing podcasts. But um, I suppose you guys are still kind of, uh, at the forefront of things. Hey, universal. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, but it would be nice to have like a few more podcasts. I totally agree. Or vodcasts. Yeah, exactly. Visual. <laughs> mm. Yeah. A vodcast. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. 
So let's take a short break to talk about our sponsor. Um, as you know, Data Stories is supported by Tableau Software, helping people see and understand their data. Tableau lets people connect to any kind of data and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, and even big data sources are easily combined into interactive visualizations, reports, and dashboards. What is your data trying to tell you? For your free trial, visit Tableau Software at tableausoftware.com slash data stories. And now back to the interview. Should we move on to tools? Yeah. Andy, I'm you were this is something that I'm saying uh, something about tools. Really within terms of curation sense. Um, so the launch of my new site in September, I kind of published a, a collection of 273 resources uh, around DataViz, and I've had about 20 or 30 more <laughs> since then. Wow. So it's still a very, very broad, very fragmented space. I don't think we've seen a, a great number of new tools in 2014, um, but certainly the, the headlines from my perspective have, have been the kind of continued growth and presence of raw from uh, density design. I think that's certainly built yes. on its initial momentum in 2013. It's expanded more, more chart types, more, more kind of techniques on offer for people. And I've seen a lot of people use using raw. And I guess I, I would equate it to people who used to use Excel and record macros in the sense that you might use raw to, to create a, a start of a 10 and then build on the, the syntax that's generated from that work and kind of tweak it thereafter without having to start from a, a blank slate. So I think people seem to be using RAW as a, as a gateway into learning more about kind of D3 and, and JavaScript coding. So that seems to be a positive. Um, I think, right. And it's great for teaching because you can just, you know, have everybody drop in a data set, explain the buttons, yeah, yeah. graphic. So And Lyra... It's still um, something that I think is still in beta stage um, from um, Arvind, I can't remember his surname right now, um, but he's part of Jeff Heer's group, or was part of Jeff Heer's group. Um, he still is, yeah. Is it right? Okay. Um, and it's also, I guess, part of what, why it's... So this tool is, of course, a very academic tool. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly what their plans are, but I know they have quite a few users, and, and they are working on it. So it's, it's in active development, but I'm, uh, I don't know if they're ever going to declare it as kind of release because, uh, of course, their, their, their ability to really support it and to support the users is, is limited. But, mm. but it's, it's a very cool tool, and... And I guess they made their point already, maybe. So maybe what was important to them, they have demonstrated. Yeah, already, but I think they want to keep this going. So I, my 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 understanding is that that they're not just going to abandon it now that it's been published and and you know people know about it. I think they're still they're also working on it. That they're still improving it and and building new things into it. And and I think they want to to really establish this as essentially a, a front end for D three. Um, so that. That is my understanding. I mean, I don't know exactly, but I, I'm pretty sure that they're working on this. I'm just saying that that if you if you but does it generate D3 code? No, it, it does. Uh, right. I think it generates um, what's it called? Um, there's Vega code, right? Vega format, is this yeah, is Vega, is, but yeah. that's essentially D3 because it's it Vega can then be, is then turned into D3 to actually run it in the browser. 
It doesn't do everything that D3 can do, but it, it covers a, a pretty decent subset. And, and Vega is another thing. This is built by Trifecta. This is uh, Jeff Hare's company. And, and they are working on a new version of Vega as well. So they're, they're going to, to, to add more things to Vega. And, and then I'm, I'm guessing that, that Lyra will have new things that they can then do because they can do them in Vega now and then uh, be able to actually export them. I mean that makes sense. If 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 Lara becomes an editor for Vega, that is, yeah okay. I'm on Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, my general concern is that it's really tough to build a software product. I mean, you know, and it's not an academic task or job at all. You know, and it's it's really it's really tough yeah, to build a working products. software that that can do arbitrary things. That's that's not so easy. Yeah, but academic products can be the basis for for products on the market, like Tableau. Right, right. right. But then somebody so, would need to take Lyra and the idea and oh, you know, yeah, start from yeah, scratch, sure. like you know, with yeah, probably yeah, with yeah. what yeah, uh, what do people want? What can we actually sell? Scale it. You know, how how do we mm. how do we do that? <laughs> Well, they might be able to yeah. get some some funding to to push it further. I don't know, but but Probably. there are options. I mean, it's not easy, that's for sure. And and most academic software is is essentially built once and then and then just kind of slowly fades away. But but I think that, yeah. that if anybody okay, can, can keep yeah. stuff alive, it's it's Jeff and and uh, Jeff here mm -hmm. and his group. So I think. I, I I would certainly have uh, much lower hopes if, if it wasn't <laughs> somebody around that group. So uh, I, I would be yeah, that's true. Talking about Jeff here, I saw Trifecta. Like he is also involved in this company. Yeah. Actually, when we had him on Data Stories, he he talked about just getting started there and was exciting yeah, to yeah, see. Yeah. This year at Viz, they gave demos of the Trifecta tool. And it's it's really nice software. So you can use it to clean up messy data. So you can feed it mostly text-based data sets like CSV files or something that looks like a CSV but is not really one. And clean it up. And you do that example-wise on a small data set, but then you can apply the same operations on huge data sets in the cloud, basically. And that's, that's quite a nice, uh, A, a nice niche to fill, and B, they have built a really... Really snappy little tool yeah. there, so I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Um, on and it is thing. actually the outcome of an academic product, right? But it's a company that has it now is. been working on it for two or three years, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's exactly the same. So it's a, it's a very good example yeah. of how an mm -hmm. academic product can become a product on the market. Yeah, if non-academics are involved. <laughs> <laughs> but not just. That's the point, right? Because this is this is actually... No, we need both. A lot like, like Tableau. This was actually uh, found, founded by a number of folks from uh, from Stanford. Um, Jeff and... and um, I, I always forget the other guys' names, but they're... By a number of failed academics. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not at all, actually. So uh, the, 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 that this is another good example. And there aren't many, of course. There aren't a lot of, of examples that really work that way and that are, that really ended up being successful. But that certainly is an example that seems to be working, uh, going really well. So uh, it, it can happen. But of yeah. course, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about academic software in general, which, which is really sad. But that's yeah. the problem with the incentives mm. that you have in academia, that it doesn't really, in most cases, there's no point or no, no academic value, I guess, in keeping something uh, alive and, and developing small things because you want to have like a big right. publication about something else. 
And so that, that makes yeah. it tough. Yeah, and the last 20% that make it a round product, you know, that you can't write a paper on, right. and then it fixed a lot of bugs, and oh, yeah. then I polished, you know, the UI. You know, that that's exactly the problem. Yeah. One tool I was really impressed with was Mirador, or Mirador, who knows? Um, it's a really nice tool for ex quickly exploring you have a fresh data set and you just want to look into it and see mm -hmm. distributions and correlations, basically. Like, how are the different variables, how are the values distributed? Does one value occur very often and others very rarely? And also, how, how do they occur together? And it's it's very optimized for that case, really fast, and it has this really nice, I don't know, is it mosaic plot, marimiko chart type things? I, I can't remember if they have a proper name. But they are really effective, so you can spot immediately the correlations really well. So, and I used it a few times, and it works really well. So I can recommend that. Mm -hmm. And it's free, open source, everything. Coming mm -hmm. from Fathom, Ben Fry's company. Mm -hmm. I think we have to mention Tableau for Mac being a, a significant milestone of last year, which yeah, a lot true. of people kind of were unleashed, I guess, into the tool over the last. Uh, what was it about six months ago? So, yeah, that I mean, and and also I think the the smoothness of the transition. I'd, I've been using it quite a lot this last few months, and I've I found very few, if any, bugs. So I think that was a very, a very kind of important milestone. So certainly for Tableau. Oh yeah, that's for sure. We get a lot of lots and lots of mm. requests for that, so we were very happy to be able to do that. So people could actually stop asking about it. Uh, and of course, the same version, eight point three, also had the story points feature. Right. Eight point two, actually, sorry, but had had the story points feature, um, which which uh, was interesting mm. for me, of course, because I was involved in that, and we were able to build this this uh, feature where you could actually build stories out of your existing visualizations, and I think that's been really uh, interesting to watch people uh, use that. So to kind of add a bit to the storytelling theme there, uh, that that's not a bit that we that I yeah. I certainly liked about that that release. Yeah. But I, I also I use Tableau still a lot, and it's it's really a solid piece also on the Mac of software because the mm. first release is sometimes a bit funky, mm. but Tableau just yeah. works. You know, it's it's great. I'm also really happy. And I don't need to fire up parallels all the time. <laughs> it's like a huge difference. Now. Yeah, it's much, much it is. Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other like what happened to all these? I remember there were a lot mm. of these charting made simple startups. Like you know, like charts for everybody. Like funky charts here, um, drop your data there. Has any of these, do you follow the scene? Have uh, Are they all the same? Are some of them really good and others really crappy? Do you know anything? I guess from the outside, um, I, I mean, I've certainly not played with enough of them to, to create a single conclusion, but they, they do seem quite lightweight. I'm, I'm sure they've got a, an audience out there for very simple needs, but um, you know how long they'll survive is, is a different matter. But... Um, I, I don't think I don't feel like there's been many new new ones of late. I think certainly the start of last year and the end of the previous year seemed to when about four or five came onto the market at once. But I think the whole the whole automating infographics scene hopefully has dried up somewhat. 
<laughs> well, on the other hand, though, there's actually so I, yeah, I, I don't remember having seen that many new ones, but maybe I'm also just kind of uh, tuning them out now because there are just so many, and and to an extent, many of them really are very similar. But there are a few that stand out, and one in particular was interesting because they made some interesting decisions re recently, mm. which is Data Wrapper. They changed their model from being free because I think they no longer have the funding that they used to have, and so they actually yeah. have to pay for. Um, and I forget the actual way to do this because I think it's actually really clever. There's something about that. I don't remember exactly how it works, but I think you can create things, but to host them, That's right. you have to pay them. And but mm. you but you don't have to keep paying them, so that your things still stay up if you stop paying. I think um, if you if you paid them while you were using it to create things, if that makes any sense. But either way, I think they have an interesting model there where they're not. It's not a huge burden to to pay for it, but uh, they make some money because they have to, <laughs> and to keep running. And we'll see how this works out because this was only done a few weeks ago, I think. Um, but it's interesting to see because they have to figure out all of these startups. They they start with some grant or whatever or or some startup funding, but then they have to make money somehow. And and many of them are free. And and we've seen, uh, well, I was watching this with um, Swivel, which which looked like it was going to take over the world, and then it just folded without uh, really much fan for at some point. <laughs> so I'm always worried about these yeah. things. And it seems that Data Wrapper they they know what they're doing there. Um, and and it's a, a very popular tool. And they also survived so the, the. It's good to see that they figured that out. The loss of Gregor who was very much behind that. Oh yeah, uh, that he's, <laughs> of course. He's still I guess on the other side doing some work to support it, but yeah, it feels like it's it's got through that uh, kind of infancy stage and it's it's found its place. And a lot of smaller kind of independent newspapers are using that still for their web-based graphics. So yeah, no, that, it's it's good to see. Yeah, and they had a very clear idea of who they are targeting, right? And it's exactly these small to medium-sized newspapers that don't have a big like graphics department. And yeah. they yeah, they did that really well. Yeah. And are still doing. Yeah, it's it's true. So maybe this that's a special one <laughs> among all the, the startups. Yeah. Any other tools? I mean, have there been any big programming progresses? I'm just thinking. So I, I saw a few like interesting things coming out of the Python world or like more scientific computing things, but like on the web and general data visualization mm. scene, I think it's still nothing else, right? <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of that around. Oh, so one thing that is related to D3 that that's interesting is there's a neat project by Manish Agarwala and and uh, a few other folks um, that is called D3 Deconstructor, right. I think. Uh, that takes when you have a, when you look at a, at a website that has a D3 viz on it, you can run this this uh, deconstructor. It's a little plugin for um, for Chrome and. Most of the time, it doesn't always work. But most of the time, it will find the visualization and it will it will show you all the mappings. You can you can you can grab the data, which is neat. So you can just get the data directly out of the visualization, and you can also change the mappings. So if you if you don't like the bubble chart that they're showing you, you can actually turn that into something else. And it's it's very clever. It's 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 really impressive. Uh, this was a paper at at WIST or at Kai, I think, last year, and they mm -hmm. released the code and released that. That that project that um, module for the this plugin, I guess for for uh, Chrome, 
I think in November or so or December perhaps. So it's it's not out there for that long and most people don't know about it but it's very neat and it's very very cool if you if you want to learn more about d3 it's a very good way to see how things are built and and what's kind of going on behind the scenes and especially if you want to steal some data <laughs> it's also a good tool for that <laughs> yeah i think another interesting tool yeah. i don't know if you've ever heard of it is shiny by r studio mm-hmm. which is pretty nice i was really impressed one of my students showed it to me and he's been playing with the system for a while and it's pretty neat, and it's based on D3, and it's basically the idea is that you, from R, you can directly code something that goes on the web, and there is also interaction on top of it. So it's it's really it's very flexible. It looks good, and uh, I think it's a major major step towards making R something that can be a little bit more interactive and also easier to distribute. So I think it's a it's a really really nice tool. But um, the charts, uh-huh. as far as, w- were they really web-native or is it more or less transmitting mostly images? Because I, th- I no. think I looked at it and, oh yeah. yeah no, it's yeah, not no, the it's, images. It's really SVG. No, no, no. And, it's not. And, yeah. And, um, yeah, it oh, is. Nice. That's cool. And what I'm really surprised about is that you can also code from R the interactive part oh, right. of it, okay. right? Which is really yeah. new and very much needed in the R mm-hmm. world. Because one of the major limitations of R is that it's very, very hard to create something that is interactive, right? right. right? So I think these guys made a, yeah, created a fantastic yeah, tool. It's called Shiny. It's called Shiny, and you know, <laughs> I mean, can, I mean, you know, how many people use R every day in this in this world, right? There are lots of data scientists out there, so we might actually see yeah. more more visualizations coming from this world. Right. Rise so. of the data scientist. That's another big trend. The rise of the data well, scientist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on that point, if there have been big themes, yeah. um, we had a data tweet science. from uh, Lynn. Uh, I can't remember where, which one it is now. That one of the oh. comments. Yeah, one of the comments that she had for the last year was. Interni. Um, I've opened up the wrong one. Something around the fact that she felt that there was a, a, a greater kind of movement from data viz people to kind of embrace. Data science. Like Santiago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Santiago. So, I mean, that, that's actually <laughs> see myself, but it feels yeah. like a, a valid observation. But I think that's a natural development because you, you just hit your walls when you... Mm-hmm. You do the same simple analysis over and over again, right? At some point, you realize you need to get into statistics mm-hmm. to really... You know, or machine learning and so on to really f- figure stuff out, and yeah, and that's just happening. <laughs> but that's cool. I like it. Yeah, and at the same time, I think there are many, many data scientists out there yeah. who do need help from visualization experts. I've been talking with a few ones, and when when I actually explain to them what we can do for them, they're really, really surprised. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what I mean is not just visualizing the result of their of their machine learning algorithms or whatever. It's also creating visualization that helps them making sense of what they do because basically they are doing everything based on numbers, right? But as we all know, sometimes numbers hide a lot of complexities. And and if you can open this box a little bit, you might actually discover important things. 
So I think there is a lot it's of It's funny because there. there's still a lack of, of visual thinking in in statistics and in data science. And this is yeah. four years yeah, exactly. or so now after Tukey and many, many years after people like Howard Weiner <laughs> yeah. and others have, have tried to, yeah. to to bring that into, into this world a bit more. And, and there, But there's still, it seems that a lot of people are still kind of not not seeing that and not really getting that. And there's so much... I don't know if maybe it's just different kinds of people having different preferences, but I feel that it's so much easier to see what's going on when you when you even just mm -hmm. think about things as visuals, even if you're not even seeing them. And so just having yeah. this this yeah. kind of second channel is is just reason really useful. So I'm I'm really surprised that 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 this is still such a that, that there's still such this such a big divide between the two. Yeah. But I can tell you from my experience, I expected much more resistance. And okay. when I talk to these kind of people, they are very much open okay. to visualization. It's just that mm -hmm. it's not their thing. I think most most of these people, their mindset is I need to collaborate with someone who can who understands visualization rather than learning how to do visualization properly. Which is I think it's good news for oh, us. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing we, we kind of yeah, but that's gonna be interesting <laughs> once you actually collaborate. <laughs> no, but you know, yeah. but because there is different philosophies in these fields, and I, and I think we can we can benefit very much from each other. But there might be like also very fundamental differences in how you know, how you see the world or <laughs> what you want to achieve. Um, I, I don't know. I think one one thing that I like of the data science from machine learning world is that they're mostly playing with models, and we don't have this model concept mm -hmm. in visualization. I think it's a it's an important aspect of dealing with data through building models out of data is a very important aspect of of data science or anything related to that. And we don't have that in visualization yeah. at all, right? So. Yeah, and also sort of robust notions of what something like how you can maybe prove something statistically or how how robust the research or the data behind your your statements is and things like that. That's all of these yeah. things we can learn a lot. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Shall we what sort else? of segue over to the future? Or is there anything? <laughs> yeah. Is, is there Let's anything? do that. Past is the past. fourteen is it's totally over. <laughs> it's yeah. It's totally done. I'm, I'm bored already. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing in the future, talking about the future, so because I was thinking about journalism and, and you know, the role journalism plays and how we, like the data people should be more journalistic, but also the journalists should be more data-ish. And, um, and one thing that really impressed me was the Serial podcast. Did you listen to Serial? No, it's not. It's, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. It's And it's really, I don't know, it's sort of, for me, it's sort of rearranged a few notions I had about journalism and what it means and, and so on. So it's sort of an investigative, a reinvestigation of a murder case that happened 15 years ago. And it's 10 episodes. They're each, I think, 45 minutes long or something like this. And it's, it's mm -hmm. a single journalist and she has a strong editorial voice. She tells very much from her perspective how she sort of reinvestigates that case. And she talks to the, to the, the guy who was convicted and he talks, uh, she talks to the witnesses that she can still get a hold of and she reads all the, the files and sort of tries to make sense of that case, right? And of course, the basic premise is, well, maybe there was, maybe the, the guy who's in jail now is, of course, not guilty, right? 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, but it sort of flips always back and forth between this. Well, did he do it or didn't he do it? Are you about to spoil this point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, then <laughs> the in the end, <laughs> and it's it's really it's really sort of thrilling to follow that. And what I found really interesting is the strong first person perspective, like you know somebody actually walking you through mm-hmm. as she makes sense of that mess, you know, and she sort of thinks out aloud, and you know. But at the same time, she builds a huge drama around a fact-based story. So it's, you know, in a way, it's the best of storytelling, but it's also the worst of storytelling because end of the day, it's a murder case. And I mean, I don't know if I'm spoiling anything, but my feeling is after the podcast, everybody's worse off who was actually involved in the original case because now everything's dragged online and, you know, and it's like, it's a big mess. At the same time, she did something really, really... I don't know. It, it was, it's just a masterpiece in a way mm. how she did it. Yeah. But then the effect of it is very, I don't know, almost like she, it's almost like she makes a big entertainment out of something very serious. Yeah. So how yeah. do you see translating yeah. the minutes? And my question is, or what I was wondering about is if this strong first person perspective is that, is that something we will maybe see more in the future that somebody walks you through something and very explicitly says, this is not the truth. This is just how I encountered facts uh, or what I found to be facts. Yeah. So this sort of even stronger sort of subjective perspectives. And yeah, the other thing was really, again, like these, these narrative formats and this sort of building a drama around <laughs> simple things. Is that something we need? You know, is that something we really should do? And so on. But I, yeah. <laughs> it's another story. But I, I, it's, it's, I would really recommend listening to the podcast and sort of thinking about what that means for other types of media because it's sort of right. a new thing. It's a very exciting thing, but also very like potentially dangerous one, I feel. So it's, it's a, it was interesting to think about. That's I actually thought it was a, a, a fictional work from the outside, but clearly not. No, it's an actual case. And now right. talking about Reddit, now there's a subreddit and there's like hundreds of um, sort of amateur detectives now figuring it all out. And it's, it's, a, it's a huge mess. <laughs> well, there are other media too that are doing interviews with the people. And so there's, there's some follow-up on it. Yeah, there's this has yeah. kind of... Uh, turn into a little, little kind of uh, little story by itself, and kind of following that up and figuring out what really happened right. and and who hasn't talked yet and what what they all have to hide and so. Yeah. So I, I asked a question on Twitter about people's hopes or fears for 2015. Just to quickly read a few of these out. Um, so I guess the same theme about the kind of idea collaborating with data scientists and the the kind of mutual benefits there. Um, we had one comment from Will Allen who said that he recognised this ongoing need for com- kind of continued collaboration between journalists looking to learn how to communicate with visualisers. So that was that was one comment. Um, from Jen Christiansen, we had a hope for 2015, more slash more accessible outlets like Data Stories for conversations between researchers and practitioners. So I guess again, <laughs> there's a theme they're developing about not existing in silos and having the, the means to kind of to kind of I guess uh, kind of fertilize ideas across different groups. Um, I agree. I, I also think we will see great stuff from like natural scientists next year. That's because they are now getting the hang of all the the cool stuff. Right. And and uh, yeah, that's my feeling too. Um, Sarah Sloban from the uh, Wall Street Journal said, 
Uh, for 2015, I'd love to see more stories built around visuals and data as opposed to word. Oh. So I guess that is probably picking once again on the themes that we discussed at the start of the session. Um, but that, that's Jones. an interesting perspective to say maybe traditional journalism is still is even still too word focused. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I suppose I mean that that will come with a segue onto another theme that I'm hoping for next year, which I know something that strikes with Enrico is this issue of visualization literacy. Perhaps until mm-hmm. we've got the audience out there with the true literacy to take on board things that don't have the assistance that comes with words. We, we won't really have yeah. the platform to to do that. Um, yeah. But just just to finish off in terms of the tweet, so Ben Jones... So let, uh, sorry, ahead, Andy, I ahead. just want to briefly say, say something about that because this is what I was going to say about 2015. Sure. My hope is that there will be more uh, resources to help people learn more about, not only about visualizations, but also how to deal with, with data in general. Yeah. I think there is a big, big lack of, however you want to call it, statistical literacy, data literacy, visual literacy, however you want to call it. But I think we really, really need much more, many more resources to help people learn about these things because there are all the all, all the kind of information that talk about this thing a little bit is scattered all over the place. Yeah. There are a lot of statistics, uh, good statistics book, but they are very heavily loaded loaded with other things. So. Um, it's hard, and I think it's very much needed. And it's not just about visualization. Mm. And I had a brief conversation with Moritz about that as well in the past. I think it's really, really important to think about the, 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 the having a larger perspective, right? It's not just visualizing things. It's also about thinking through data. Yeah. And I think there is a lot to learn there, really a lot. I am learning a lot myself. Yeah, I, I think just my own experience of doing uh, training workshops, some of the folks who come along maybe from a kind of a graphic design background or more of a creative background. And there is genuine, perhaps not fear, but a genuine kind of hesitance with getting to grips with even things like a simple spreadsheet and, and the, the, the the data types and how to treat different types of data. And perhaps the, there is a certain um, complacency from us in the field that everyone does have that relatively basic entry point. Um, but I don't think it is. I don't think it does exist. So I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And it's so easy to jump to conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very dangerous. So I think people should be a little bit more careful jumping to conclusions through one data set, uh, analyze cert- uh, across a certain yeah. perspective. So I think that that's something that we all have to learn. And, and just on the, the broader point of visualization literacy. So we're working on a research project and this concludes in March of this year, so we're looking to release a, a lot of um, resources and findings about the recipients, the readers, the users, the audiences, to give them a bit more assistance and guidance about how to make sense of visualizations, how to read them, how to approach them, and what to look for. Um, because as we've just said there, it's not something you necessarily get taught. You kind of get through by uh, kind of exposure to charts through your adult years, largely. So we're hoping to just to contribute something on that front. So that'll be something that I'm hoping to to affect in terms of trends of next year, certainly. Mm-hmm. Will, will there be a report from the, yeah. the research project? Reports, yeah. videos, cool. presentations, all sorts of stuff. Cool, cool. Let us know. That's important. Uh, and possibly podcasts. Who knows? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> um, we go yeah, just, just the last um, tweet was from Ben Jones, who said, Ops for 2015, continued high-level collaboration database across disciplines and tools. The same things we just said there. His fears, the zombie apocalypse. So let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> that would be really bad for data. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and just... But ProPublica, it's, it's true. Or do we say ProPublica probably in the US? But it's, uh, yeah, we haven't mentioned that yet, but they did some great work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my last kind of uh, prediction for 2015 would be a big showing from The Guardian, and specifically The Guardian UK. Uh, recently, they've been making some big high-profile appointments uh, Aaron Pill. It's been quiet around the media. It has, so yeah. I mean, so the Guardian US um, has been doing some great work, but the Guardian UK has lost a certain number of people the last few years. Simon left, um, Alison Dand, people like that left. So they've now appointed um, Aaron Pillhofer as executive editor of Digital uh, and Shaquine uh, Gonzalez, formerly of the MIT, is now the editor of Visuals. So mm. there's some big names kind of starting to coordinate things there. Uh, yesterday they appointed Pablo Gutierrez from the BBC. Um, Kath Levitt's been the editor of graphics over the last year or so, I think. So they seem to be kind of reshuffling their, their decks and uh, expecting a big year from them. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. So... All by Guardian stocks now. <laughs> it's the new gold. Exactly. <laughs> new golden oil. But otherwise, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to predict the next year in the sense that as we began the set, this this podcast, 2014 was kind of hard to get a hold of. I think really the, the hope would be just continue more of the same. Continue growth, more people doing great stuff, no big revolution, just continued evolution yeah well i i I could do without a revolution but it's (laughs) we can't predict it obviously so we'll we'll see what happens but i think that that a lot of good things happened quite obviously uh this last year and um, i'm thinking that more of that will 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 happen as well this year again i think that on the academic side and and some of these things just take a while it that's why it's hard to kind of pin down individual things that happen in one year because things just take a while people mm-hmm. move to a different job it takes them a while to get started and so on especially in academia everything takes very long so it's not just like uh you know something happens and 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 it's there but um so what, what i think and I'm, I'm pretty sure will happen more is there's more academic more more interest and more attention from academia from the academic viz side in in presentation not just storytelling but just being able to to Communicate data, and I think Enrico's work on on uh, uh, on, on the literacy is part of that, and, and there are other things that are happening that I think are really interesting, and there's going to be more of that as well. And and just in general, more communication. We haven't talked much about these conferences that have been going on for the last two years, mm-hmm. like OpenViz and then Tapestry and IO mm-hmm. and Visualized and so on. But those are actually making a difference. I think there's a lot of of new dialogue. Yeah. That hasn't really happened before. And that. because there were these separate 
communities that were, you know, the academics were going to this event and the practitioners were going to that event and then designers were talking to themselves there. But there's there's a lot more kind of cross-fertilization now, I think, and between all those fields. And I think that's really helpful and, and that's going to make a lot of new things happen. That was very evident to Tapestry um, last year uh, and also OpenVis. You can very... And, and and also not not evident in the sense that you saw people going from these different worlds and they would stick together in cliques. It was introducing yourself to people. Oh, you're from that background, and oh, you're from that yeah, background. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a good point. Yeah, and all these things they you know over the years draw draw more and more people in, and and uh, everybody brings in their existing perspectives, and yeah, that leads exactly to what what we discussed in the beginning. Of this incredibly rich and diverse field, right? Where it's even hard to get an overview mm-hmm. anymore, which is yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to be here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Good place to be. <laughs> Good place yeah. to be still. 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 Yeah. Cool. Shall we wrap it up? It's a wrap. Let's wrap it up. 2014 is done. <laughs> it's done. Forget about yeah. it. <laughs> Not coming back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I'm looking forward to 2015. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Let me just mention that if you're listening to this and you want to suggest someone you want to see appear on the, on the podcast in 2015, let us know. That's a good idea. Where suggestions are always welcome. Yep. Thank Thanks you. a lot, Thank guys, you. for, Thanks for being me. on the show. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Yeah. We love you, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Data Story is supported by Tableau Software, helping people see and understand their data. Get answers from interactive dashboards wherever you go. For your free trial, visit Tableau Software at T-A-B-L-E-A-U. Once again, T-A-B-L-E-A-U ausoftware.com slash data stories. Don't forget to put slash data stories because it's very important that they know that you're coming from us. Thanks a lot for supporting us with this. Bye.